Good day, and welcome to episode three of the Intangible Investor Podcast, brought to you by Knowledge Leaders Capital, where we discuss everything under the sun related to financial markets, economics, and innovation. This episode was recorded on October 30th, 2019. I'm Bryce Coward, Deputy Chief Investment Officer and Portfolio Manager for Knowledge Leaders Capital, and I'm joined today by my colleague, Stephen Finelli, the Chief Investment Officer and Chief Executive Officer of Knowledge Leaders Capital. Well, what a day today with the Fed meeting and uh, and markets moving quite a bit after after that meeting. We'll save that discussion for later. But before we do that, Steve, you've been studying the dynamics of the energy market here in the United States and have uncovered some interesting trends that I think the listeners would be very interested to hear about. What are some of the things you've been looking at? Yeah, Bryce, um, I've been looking at some structural trends um, with respect to U.S energy production uh, in, in U.S. energy imports, uh, and in particular, um, how the dynamics have changed and what that may mean for, uh, for bonds, in particular U.S. government bonds going forward. So, you know, what's interesting when I, when I look back over the last decade, um, looking at oil production growth in the United States, it, it's grown tremendously. Um, you know, going back to 2010, we were producing about 5.5 million barrels of oil per day uh, in the United States. Uh, last data point, uh, every week, uh, this gets put out by the Department of Energy, so uh, every Friday. So last data point, last Friday, um, the U.S. produced 11.8 million uh, barrels of crude oil per day. Uh, and that's principally come from shale, as, as most are probably aware. Uh, back in 2010, uh, shale oil output was around a million barrels per day in the United States. As of last Friday, uh, shale oil output in the United States is roughly 8.8 .8 million barrels per day. So what this has led to um, has been uh, a change uh, in the U.S. trade profile with respect to petroleum products. Now, it's important, of course, to mention that uh, formerly uh, exporting crude oil was was made illegal or was illegal and was made legal in in, in 2016 through some uh, through some rule changes. Um, so when we look at the exports, uh, the United States is now um, exporting crude oil every day. Um, and uh, in 2016, we were exporting roughly 500,000 barrels a day. Again, just some some rounding errors and emissions. It for the most part was against the law. As of latest data readings, uh, we were exporting 3.683 million barrels of crude oil per day, uh, which is a dramatic increase over the last several years. Uh, and then the Department of Energy gives us um, information on refined petroleum products. So, you know, gasoline, kerosene, stuff like that. Um, in 2010, uh, the United States produced about 2 million barrels per day of refined product. As of last reading, uh, was 4.936 million barrels per day uh, of, of, uh, of refined product uh, that, that got exported uh, um, out there into the world. So, you know, almost a, a two and a half times increase in the amount of refined product that the United States is, is exporting as well. And then, and then the DOE adds it all up, um, you know, total exports of crude oil and refined petroleum products. And so since 2010, that's gone from about 2 million barrels per day to roughly 8.619 million barrels per, per day. So there's been a fourfold 
increase in, in U.S. gross exports of petroleum products. And what that's resulted in is a significant change in, in, in the U.S. Um, net importation of petroleum products. So in 2010, on a daily basis, the United States um, net imported about 11 million barrels of crude oil per day. As of last week, it was down to 2.174 million barrels of crude oil per day, um, net being imported into the United States. So, you know, uh, was that, an 80, almost an 80% reduction, uh, 80, 80 plus percent reduction in, in net crude imports. And then on the refined uh, petroleum side, interestingly, uh, we swung from being a net importer to a net exporter of refined products. So in 2010, we were importing about a, a million barrels per day of refined products, again, gasoline, uh, uh, things of that nature. Um, and now we're exporting, at last report, 2.795 million barrels per day uh, of refined product. Um, a lot of that goes to, goes to Mexico uh, as a result of some of their energy infrastructure issues. Anyway, when, when, we, when the DOE uh, nets this all up, we've gone from a position in 2010 where we were importing uh, total petroleum products of roughly 11 million barrels per day. Uh, the last reading that we had as of last Friday, we were net exporting 621,000 barrels per day. Uh, and what's remarkable is that, you know, we flirted with the zero line being a net energy exporter um, on and off over the last uh, rough, roughly year. Uh, last December, we flipped into a net energy exporter, then again in February of this year, then again in, in the summer, and, and now again in the fall. So uh, trends have changed dramatically uh, uh, for the better for the United States. What we found connecting, connecting um, the U.S. energy performance into, into the bond market here is that um, the amount of daily net petroleum imports is, is highly related to uh, the term premium in, in U.S. 10-year treasury bonds. So the amount of extra yield that investors demand for, for holding longer duration bonds. And when we go back in time, we, we, we can see this you know, in history that Historically, um, it's, it's around major disruptions in supply that you see the term premium uh, rise in government bonds. Uh, you saw it, you know, again, looking back over a fairly long horizon. You saw it in 1967 in the Six-Day War, 1974, the Arab-Israeli War, uh, 1980, the first Iran-Iraq War, uh, 1990, the second Iran-Iraq War, 2001, uh, Iraq oil export suspension, uh, around 2003, the Venezuelan strike, 2010, when, uh, when President Obama um, uh, tightened sanctions on, on Iran, leading to a plunge in, in, uh, in their oil exports. So, um, you know, lining these things up over the last decade, uh, as I said earlier, our net petroleum imports on a daily basis have gone from about 11 million barrels per day to now we're a net exporter of 621,000 barrels at last reading. Um, when I line that up on, on, on a chart and look at term premium, there's a very tight fit, hand and glove fit between these two things. And, and the lower, uh, 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 the more the U.S. becomes a net exporter of energy products, the more that has a downward bias on, on the term premium. Uh, as I discussed earlier, historically spikes in the term premium are related to uh, uh, spikes in uh, uh, oil disruptions. So, uh, you know, to try to uh, uh, close this together, uh, one of the variables certainly that's been impacting uh, 
the bond market uh, has been uh, the exogenous variable of this, this structural change, this decade-long structural change in, in U.S. energy position. Uh, and should this continue, um, our work would suggest that it has positive ramifications uh, for the term premium component uh, of longer duration bonds. In other words, it, 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 it is another reason that would make us uh, uh, bullish on, on longer duration bonds. All right, with that, uh, Bryce, I'd like to get into a short discussion uh, with you about the Fed. Can you start with laying out what expectations were going into the meeting today and then touch on what actually happened? Yeah, absolutely, Steve. So going into the Fed meeting today, the expectations were, were really broad-based for a 25 basis point cut uh, in, in, the, in the overnight Fed funds rate. Um, so, so expectations for that cut were about 95% based on, uh, based on futures pricing. And, and indeed, that, that's what we got. We got a 25 basis point cut. Um, interestingly, the, the Fed tried to, um, uh, uh, tried to walk away from, from committing uh, uh, to more rate cuts at this point. So they, they signaled no further rate cuts uh, would be imminent unless there was uh, a fairly significant uh, deterior deterioration um, uh, either on the trade front or uh, Brexit perhaps or, or a deterioration and, and economic activity. Um, so, uh, you know, the, some, some asset prices have moved around since that uh, decision has been made um, and, and communicated to investors. Uh, one of the interesting things that, that I've noted was that um, going into this meeting, uh, the, the market really had anticipated one more rate cut through, you know, through, through the end of next year uh, with, a, with a slight possibility of, of, of two cuts. Um, so if we look out at the, at the March 2020 meeting, there was a 43% chance that the Fed would have engaged in another rate cut by, by that March 18th, 2020 meeting. Um, after the, the announcement today, that chance uh, moved from 43 to 38% in, in that March 20, uh, 2020 meeting. So even though the Fed uh, clearly was trying to do their best to communicate that no further rate cuts are imminent, um, the market really, um, uh, hasn't moved its pricing very much around that uh, around that further rate cut in 2020. Interesting, interesting. Powell seemed to uh, signal that any future hikes uh, would only be a function of uh, of rising inflation expectations. Uh, you know, through the through the Fed's two percent target, let's say. Well, on my screen, with with ten year break even inflation, you know, having gone from about two point one percent a year ago to about one point five eight percent today. This, this seems a ways off. Uh, can we ignore the possibility of rising short rates for the foreseeable future? Gosh, well, he, he did his best to, um, <laughs> to, to, uh, to, to, to make investors know that um, the Fed isn't going to be raising rates anytime soon. He, he said pretty clearly that, um, that inflation would be the key thing that they'll be looking for to, uh, to raise rates um, in the future, and that uh, they would need to see inflation moves sustainably above 2%. He, he used that uh, symmetrical inflation uh, um, uh, term uh, multiple times during the press conference. So, so I think the, you know, the, the, the key that they were trying to communicate here was that the Fed really is, um, is going to be on hold here uh, and, and unless there's some sort of, uh, some sort of surprise, um, a large surprise in inflation expectations and, and the way that things are panning out right now you know, it just doesn't seem like that's in the cards. Interesting. What, one last question for you, Bryce. 
So today's cut moves the upper bound of Fed funds back down to 1.75%, I believe. Um, we use, uh, we have our proxy for uh, nominal neutral rates where, where we take the, the Lawbach Williams uh, real rate, the so-called R star, and we add uh, PCE inflation to it to, to come up with, uh, you know, our estimate of nominal neutral uh, uh, rates. That, that right now is about 2.44%. So now with the Fed, you know, roughly 75 basis points back below uh, what we would call nominal neutral rates. Do we think this takes recession risk off the table for 2020 for now? Gosh, you know, that's a, that's a tough one, Steve. Clearly, um, you know, Powell uh, indicated that he thinks monetary policy is, is, um, is, is accommodative right now. He, he noted that, that uh, the real neutral rates um, are about at 0% uh, currently. So, um, you know, so certainly the, the, the economy is getting um, a, a bit of stimulus from, from, from these lower rates. Um, you know, I think the, uh, you know, one thing that we have to keep in mind here is these um, uh, lot of OEMs rates can, can move, you know, uh, it, it's an approximation. They can move higher, they can move lower. Um, so, so that's something we have to keep in mind. But, um, but I think generally speaking, um, you know, we're in a, a fairly accommodative mon monetary policy stance. And, um, you know, that, that certainly will, will help alleviate uh, recession concerns going into next year. That being said, you know, I think one of the big takeaways from today's meeting was that we're going to be in a lower for longer uh, monetary policy regime. You know, we, we talked about the Fed not wanting to move rates up uh, again until inflation is, is clearly and symmetrically, you know, above its, its 2% uh, target. I think that that had um, some significant uh, um, implications for, for asset prices. Uh, so just just uh, today, um, since the meeting started, uh, the dollar at one point was was down 30 basis points. Um, excuse me, it was up 30 basis points. It actually finished down on the day by 23 basis points. So a fairly significant 50 basis point intraday move there. Um, gold at one point was down 40 basis points. It finished up. Uh, 46 basis points. So, uh, you know, again, an, an 85, 86 basis point intraday move in gold. Um, stocks, uh, you know, were, were less changed on the day, moving from down about 25 basis points to up about 33 basis points. But the big winner on the day really was uh, what was bonds and, and especially the longer end of the um, of, of the yield curve. So the 10-year bond finished the day down six basis points. The 30-year bond finished the day down seven basis points. Um, so I think this is telling us that, uh, um, well, the long end is, is saying that uh, the Fed is nowhere near uh, uh, raising interest rates and, and that inflation is, is nowhere near to, uh, uh, nowhere to be found. Um, but, but the other interesting thing that happened was we got a bit of a curve flattening after this uh, recent period that we've seen a, a bit of curve steepening. So the three-month yield only came down about two basis points, and the two-year yield only came down ab about four basis points. So I think um, the the message there would be that uh, you know the growth outlook, uh, uh, while recession may not be a base case for 2020, uh, the growth outlook certainly uh, is not screaming higher either. Lower for longer. Interesting conclusion, Bryce. Thank you. Well, with that, we'll conclude today's podcast. Thank you all for listening to The Intangible Investor, and please come visit us at www 
www.knowledgeleaderscapital.com to learn about our podcast, our products, and our unique way of investing in global financial markets. Please also send us your comments and feedback by emailing us at info at klcapital.com. Until next time, this is Bryce Coward and Stephen Vanelli signing off.